0: Pondering why God sent his son. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Why would God, the father, send his only begotten son? Was it just for a happy life? Is it just so that we can experience happiness and joy on this side of eternity? Or is there something that he's removing from us and putting upon his own son a price to be paid that you and I could not pay? When you think about the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is wonderful, great, good news. I mean, it really is. In the gospel is the power of God to change a life. But good news really becomes good when you see how bad things could be.
1: This is amazing grace. said you don't really appreciate what you have until you've lost it. But maybe you could if you imagined what it would be like or remembered back to what it was like before you had it. Well, we'll get some help with that today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're glad you joined us. We take you into the New Testament book of Romans on this Tuesday. And in the middle of chapter one, we encounter the subject of the wrath of God. While it's understandably not a favorite subject, it's an essential one nonetheless. It's what the unbeliever will face unless they believe, and what the believer has been saved from. And thinking about the bad news makes the good news all the sweeter. Here is Pastor Ed.
0: Romans chapter 1, verse 18 begins, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Because, verse 21, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, the birds and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. So guys, we get into a very unpopular topic today, the wrath of God. Not a lot of Bible studies are gonna spend time focusing in on the wrath of God, but the coming judgment of God will manifest itself against all those who reject Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid a real price for your salvation. And Paul says it's the wrath of God that's revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, against all ungodliness. And although, on the one hand, as we study through the book of Romans, we know it to be the wonderful gospel of grace, and it is, it would be foolish for us to skip over this section of scripture, to skip over the reality of exactly what we've been saved from. And so we take the verses one by one and allow God's truths to penetrate our hearts because it's a powerful thing to realize what we've been saved from. Contrary to the popular view that's going through the church today, well, here's salvation in many churches today. This is going to change your life. You're going to have everything that you've ever wanted. Joy unspeakable. Your finances are going to turn around. Your marriages will be healed. Everything will be restored. Salvation is all about you. Listen, I realize that Jesus promises an abundant life. And living life in Jesus Christ on this earth is far greater than living life apart from Jesus Christ. But let me just say, friends, salvation is not about your personal comforts. Salvation isn't about everything going your way. The Bible says that everyone that desires to live godly will suffer persecution, that we'll go through things in life. And although there will be joy unspeakable, while God will put a new song in your heart where things will turn around, you'll be born again, you'll get victory over sin. Friends, listen, salvation is all about rescuing you from the judgment of God upon sin in your life. That's the essence of why Jesus Christ died. Everything else is a bonus. But I'll tell you what, our brothers and sisters living in the Sudan, they're just as saved as you and I are, except they're going through great difficulties right now. Our brothers and sisters in China, just as much as saved as you and I are, and yet they're not experiencing all of the joys that perhaps you and I are here in the States. The wrath of God, it's real. And for all of those that reject Jesus, the wrath of God awaits you the judgment of God upon sin. And so today's message is a warning, a warning to the unbeliever, the wrath of God is coming. So turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. It's also a warning to the believer. And the warning is this, stop living unrighteous and ungodly lives. It doesn't please God. We come to this place where maybe you left last week, the just shall live by faith. Amen, Pastor Ed. I don't got to read my Bible. I don't got to come to church. I get too great so I can do whatever I want, Well, I can do whatever I want. You know, that's the truth. You can do whatever you want. But I'll tell you what, as Christians, you have different wants now and different desires. Everything's changed so that you're no longer serving sin and the things of this world. Your wants are to please the Lord. And so when you live your life doing what you want, well, of course, because as as you delight yourself in the Lord, he gives you the desires of your heart. He changes your heart and your desires. But it doesn't mean that the wrath of God isn't coming upon those that reject the Lord. It is, and it will. Remember last year when the warnings came in for Katrina? I watched it. I could tell you, I didn't really take the warnings all that seriously. It could have been because I live thousands of miles away. But I'm watching it. They've got all of the, the pictures up and all the maps up. And this is the worst. We've never seen anything like this. This is this is going to be the heaviest. It's going to destroy the levees. It's going to destroy everything. And as it was getting closer, there were those reporters. Don't they just blow your mind, the reporters? I mean, what, what are they thinking? I mean, what, what do they pay these people to be able to do that? And you know why they're there, right? They're not just reporting. They're also interviewing the people that decided not to leave. And so there they are. The storm is raging, the winds, the rain. And so did you hear about the warnings, sir? Are you going to leave? And you would hear things like, no, we heard the warnings. But you know what? We've weathered the last one. I mean, we had storms come through. We know living here in Mississippi and New Orleans, we know, hey, storms come here all the time, son. Don't worry about it. We'll weather this one. We've boarded up the windows. No big deal. And the warnings would come. And the reporters would go from person to person. The storm is coming. Ah, oh, we're not leaving. We don't believe it's really all that big. I mean, you know, they can do things with computers now, and it's probably a lot bigger. It's probably smaller than what, you know, we don't, we just, you know, the weathermen, you know, the weatherman, what do they know? You hear people say, hey, you know what? This is my house. I was raised in this house. My family was raised in this house. No government. No person's going to tell me what to do with my house and my family. Nobody can tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. And you would hear that answer over and over again. And what happened? The storm came. The storm came even larger than they predicted. And countless houses, one after another, flooded with water. And many people lost their life because they didn't heed the warnings. It's so much the same today when you warn people about the judgment of God, where the storm is raging of the world that we live in, and it's obvious that God will judge sin. It's so obvious when our eyes are open to the world in which we live, when things are not getting better and better, they are getting worse and worse. The crime that's being committed, the the perversity, the twistedness of people's minds, and so we come with a message, don't we? Our desire is to win the lost, to win someone to Jesus. We come and say, look, you're right. your life needs to be right with the Lord. You have to be right with God. You need to turn from your sin. You need to turn to Jesus Christ. You need to leave your sin behind. You need to come to Jesus and he will rescue you and care for you. And he'll do a wonderful work in your life. And what kind of answers do we get? But no, I don't really believe God. Nah, I've tried the God thing, you know, it's really good for you, but I don't need it. I don't even believe in God. I don't really believe judgment's gonna come. You know, some people will say, I don't need to worry about the judgment of God because after all, I go to church. I mean, I'm in church. Why do I need to worry about the judgment of God? I'm in church. I was baptized. I'm a member of the church. I even give from time to time. Why do I need to worry? be worried about some coming judgment? I mean, I'm in church, aren't I? Is not all I need to do. You know, other people will say things like, you know, I'm not listening to you because you can't tell me what to do. Who are you to judge me? How dare you say that what I'm doing is sin? And on and on the answers come when we warn people. And there's this attitude, isn't there, with hurricanes and with God, that we can just do whatever we want. Nothing's going to hurt us. Nothing's going to touch us. Nothing's going to destroy us. When all the while, with eyes to see, you can see it in people's lives that their sin is really destroying them, piece by piece, day by day. You know, Paul's not afraid to talk about the wrath of God because The wrath of God reminds us of why a sinless man went to the cross. The God-man, Jesus Christ, he went to the cross to take away and to remove the penalty and that wrath from us. You look at that and you wonder, well, why? Why would God, the father, send his only begotten son? Was it just for a happy life? Is it just so that we can experience happiness and joy on this side of eternity? Or is there something that he's removing from us and putting upon his own son a price to be paid that you and I could not pay? When you think about the good news, we've looked at it in depth in previous studies. The gospel of Jesus Christ is wonderful, great, good news. I mean, it really is. In the gospel is the power of God to change a life. It changed your life. But good news really becomes good when you see how bad things could be. And how many testimonies could we share today to say, well, I went through such and such and such and such, but man, I could have been worse. And I went over here, and I was in this, and I was involved in this, and I was right on the edge, and oh, it could have been worse. And that's what Paul's doing. He's giving us this, this backdrop. He wants to see how bad things can get apart from Jesus Christ. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, but it really isn't effective until you realize just how much you need a Savior, just how much it's outside of your control. It'll do away with all the ideas that we can work for our salvation. It'll go do away with all the ideas that we can somehow please God with our righteousness. Remember last week we looked at that? All of our righteousness is like what? Dirty diapers. Remember that? I mean, that's what we come to God. Here's all of our righteousness. And you go, oh, dirty diapers. Some of you are like dirty diapers. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. Dirty diapers. It's like filthy rags, isn't it? Why? Because Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin. We didn't. Jesus on the cross, as he hung there, he said, It is finished. The work is done. And how do we access that work? But by faith, the just shall live by faith. There's a righteousness of God that's revealed in the gospel that by faith becomes yours. But if you choose to reject Jesus, then verse 18 is for you. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God, the judgment, the good news. You know, the gospel is really one of those good news, bad news things. Anybody ever come to you with that? I, man, man. Let me just tell you right now, if you ever come to me with good news and bad news, I want the bad news first. Because I want to walk away feeling good, right? Uh, Just give me the bad news. Just lay it on me. If you have to take a half hour, give me the bad news. I'll leave with five seconds of good news. Can't you, could ever be, I have some good news and some good news. Could you ever try that one time? You know? (laughs) So I got some good news and good news and some more good news. Yes. But the gospel is one of those good news, bad news things. Here's the bad news. The bad news is this. Man is born a sinner. And he's hopelessly lost in his sin. That's the bad news. And if you die in that condition, you'll spend eternity in hell. That's bad news, wouldn't you agree? Oh, woe is me. What am I supposed to do? If I'm in this hopeless condition, this hopeless situation, what is there for me? But the good news is that everybody needs a Savior and God's provided one. And by faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ, the only true way to God, your sins can be forgiven and you'll be pulled out of the hopeless mess and your feet will put on a solid rock. Let's go back to Psalm 40 for a second and be reminded of the bad news for a second. I know that many of you are gonna totally relate with this passage, I know I do. And although we might define its terms a little differently on what it was like in our lives, we were all here as believers. We look back on our lives as unbelievers and we were all here, guys. Psalm 40, verse one. I mean, this was us. This is tough times. This was, this was a We were in a tough situation. I think the more we walk in Jesus Christ, the more we forget how tough it was, how difficult our life was apart from Jesus, how, how, how lost we really were. Well, verse one, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of the horrible pit. The horrible pit. Remember the horrible pit? It was dark, it was deep. It was deceiving. It was destructive. A horrible pit. There was no way out. There was no way we could get out. There was no way we could climb out. There was no way we could even see light at the end of the tunnel. We were in darkness. A horrible, it wasn't just any pit. It wasn't just that pit. It wasn't just a pit. The psalmist says it was a horrible pit. Horrible, horrible pit. Hey, not only that, he says, out of the miry clay. Now, when I think of the miry clay, it takes me back to my childhood, eight years old, nine years old. Universal Studios just opened a new stunt show, you know, the one where they jump and fall and shoot cap guns. And, but they had one little thing there that made me afraid. I mean, really afraid. It was the quicksand little deal. That little bit of sand there that you were there, and then the guy would disappear. And, and I was always afraid they would call on me. You know, they were looking for volunteers, Here's the thing. I've never seen quicksand in my life, ever. Never seen it. Just saw it. I've seen it on like old westerns and things, but I have been afraid of quicksand my entire life. I've never seen it. I mean, I'd go to Arizona, visit my grandmother, and I'm like, whoa, man, I don't, is this quicksand, Granny? I don't know. I was afraid. I've never, I mean, isn't that weird? You just say, yes, Ed, you're weird. I know, I know, I know. And I remember that. I remember being there at Universal Studios and being so afraid that he would pick me because I didn't know what that was. All I knew is I saw the guy disappear and we never saw him again. Quicksand. And when you watch the movies, you see it on TV. The guy's like, unless there's somebody coming along to help him, he's done. It's over. They say, when you you study these things, they say, if you're in quicksand, I mean, I know, I don't know how many of you are going to be in quicksand, but if you are, if you're in quicksand, you're not supposed to be moving around. But that's what you would be thinking you'd try to do, right? Just try to swim out of it. I mean, what the deal with quicksand anyway? Why do you quit? Why do you sink so quickly? If you move around, you're done. You're supposed to kind of stay still and hope somebody comes along to pull you out. You understand what he says now, Myrie Clay? You're done. You're stuck. And some of you were trying to get out and it was only making matters worse. For some of you, the horrible pit was... Just this heavy addiction to alcohol or drugs. It was the pit, man. I mean, that's all you did. That's how you lived. You know, the party scene. Some of you might be in here right now. And you go, hey, I'm in the party scene right now. You know, it's not a horrible pit, Ed. You don't understand. You know, it's fun. I get to meet friends and I get to, you know, not be in reality for a while. And no friends, the Bible says it's a pit. It's a horrible pit. You know, maybe the miry clay right now, or maybe the miry clay the Lord saved you from was a messed up marriage. I mean, it just seemed like nothing you could do would absolutely do anything to help your marriage. And, and yet the Lord came along and he delivered you. He rescued you. The horrible pit, the miry clay. Notice what he says next in verse two. And set my feet upon a rock. How different that is from the miry clay, huh? And at once you were sinking, but now you stand strong. At once you were hopeless, but now your feet, I mean, isn't it so cool that God put your feet on a solid rock? Is it or not? Anybody here happy about the solid rock? Okay, good. I am. I look back, you know, when I was back at the pastor's conference this week and everybody was sharing their testimony and I I listened to the stories and everybody had the common theme that the Lord took us out of the horrible pit, the miry clay, put our feet on a solid rock. We all share that as believers. Now, some of our pits were different. Some of the miry clays were at different stages. Some of you were born into a very godly home and raised a very godly way, but you never really had a relationship with Jesus. It was a pit nonetheless. And we put our feet On a solid rock. It's a solid rock that you stand. And notice he established my steps. Paul would tell the Ephesian believers that we wandered around according to the darkness of this world. That's all. We just had an aimless wandering. But in Jesus Christ, now he's established our steps. Things begin to make sense now, don't they? You begin to see things for what they are. You begin to make decisions based on the way God sees things and not the confusion of this world. You begin to see things and temptations for what they are, and now you can avoid them. Why? Because God, he's established your steps. Not only that, verse 3, he's put a new song in my mouth. I guarantee you there are people in this room that don't like to sing. I'm sure that singing is not your deal. Not even in the shower, you're not a singer. Sing is not high on your list of things to do. But in Jesus Christ, he's actually put a song in your heart. And you sing. How does that work? The Holy Spirit. He gives us a new song. And how can we not sing these wonderful, glorious praises unto our God to remind us of who he is and who we are. And as we sing, we're just reminded that God is faithful, no matter what's going on. And God's put that song in our hearts. It's not something we can manufacture or conjure up, and we'll work it really hard if you just really want to sing. I'll tell you what, as you just lay yourself in the hands of your Savior, and you begin to think about how much He's done in your life and how faithful He is in your life, you'll sing. You'll belt it out. You'll go for it. You'll be on the way to work in the morning, and people will be looking at you like, what's your deal? And when they do that, just roll down your window and tell them, Jesus loves you too. It's a witnessing opportunity. We're all worried about what people think about us, huh? You know, we want to get tinted windows so nobody can see. Let people see. Shine your light. Let the Lord use you and sing the song that he's put in your mouth. Sing it. Let go. Praise to our God. Many will see it. See, he said, many is going to see it. And fear and will trust in the Lord. Look at verse four. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside the lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works, which you have done. And your thoughts, which are toward us, cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. So you remember how bad it was? I mean, the good news is really good compared to how bad it could have been. You could still be in the pit today. You could be absolutely destroyed. You could be done. It could be over. You could be a statistic. You could be a blip on someone's radar screen, but you're not. You're here loving and serving the Lord. Everybody needs a savior and God has provided a savior for everybody. That's the good news, that he can do a work in your life today. We shouldn't be afraid of sharing the gospel with boldness to people and laying before them their need of salvation. Paul doesn't have any problem doing it. The wrath of God. I mean, those are heavy words, but it's the truth. And isn't it a true friend that will tell you the truth? I want friends that will tell me what I need to hear. I think a true friend is someone that can speak the truth in love. Now, as we study through these sections in the coming weeks, Paul is going to be taking us on a journey, demonstrating our need for salvation. The first group of people he addresses, you could call the pagans or the truly lost people. The people you would come to and say, I don't care, I don't believe in God, I don't want anything to do with God, I've got my own gods, I've got my own religion, leave me alone. Well, Paul addressed that type of person. He'll move from that type of person then to the next one is the moral person. Remember, we've talked a lot about the people that say, I'm a good person. Well, he'll address that. There's nothing wrong with being a good person, but when is good, good enough? You need the righteousness of God to enter into heaven. And so he's going to address those that would say, but I understand my need for salvation, but I'm a good person, so it doesn't apply to me. Paul will say it does apply to you too. He moves from the pagan person or the utterly lost to the moral person, the next person he'll address. And when we get there in our studies, I'll identify him for you. The next person he addresses is the religious person. This is a person that has an outward show of religion, but no inward connection. And they fall back on their traditions and they fall back on their rituals instead of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul's gonna say, you know what? You need Jesus too. And then the final group is a pretty broad group. It's everyone. In chapter three of Romans, Paul will conclude everyone is lost. And in need of a savior. And he'll walk through and address each one of those people. But for now, notice the word wrath in verse 18. The Greek word there is orge. And it literally means God's settled determination against sin. Because God is settled against sin. God does not approve of sin. God does not condone sin. God does never place his hand of approval on sin. God is completely good and God is completely holy. Therefore, he cannot tolerate any kind
1: of sin. Sobering truth, Pastor Ed Taylor concludes with on today's Abounding Grace. The bad news is we are all sinners and need to be saved. But the good news, God has provided a Savior who will save the one who turns to him in faith. More on all this next time when Pastor Ed returns to Romans right here on Abounding Grace. To give this a second listen, all you need to do is visit our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. This is a fairly new site. As you take a look around, you'll notice Pastor Ed's blog, the Abounding Grace podcast, our show archives, and even a place to make a secure donation as the Lord leads. That's AboundingGraceRadio.com. We'd like to suggest adding a couple of apps to your mobile devices. Look for our church app and Grace FM Colorado app, available on all platforms when you do a search for Calvary Church Aurora. They're free and a great way to fill up on the teaching of the Word wherever you may be. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time. And think of this, you'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's abounding grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, you're invited to request a book by Pastor Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn called Jesus Revolution. Some of you were alive to remember how God got a hold of an unlikely group of men and women in the 60s and 70s you'll read the amazing true story of the Jesus Movement, an amazing time of mass revival, renewal, and reconciliation. Can God do it again? You bet. Call us right now so we can drop this in the mail to you. We're at 877-30-GRACE. Again, to order the book, call 877-30-GRACE. We'll pick up where we left off in Romans tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is grace.